0: well, we're kind of in between chapter 19 and 20. If you remember last week, I talked to you that we're going to do a study that really wouldn't take us into chapter 20, but it, it kind of addresses the whole idea of how do we relate to the Mosaic covenant. So the title of the study is The Believer's Relationship to the Mosaic Law. And I put Exodus 20 because it's in Exodus 20 that We actually begin to get the first elements of the Mosaic Law, which are the Ten Commandments. And we'll talk a little bit about them this week, but not a whole lot, because when we get into chapter 20, obviously, we'll um, go through. Today is very much a topical type of a Bible study. So usually we're reading some scripture verses as we make our way through a book, and we're um, kind of tearing those apart and understanding them, applying them to our lives. Today, uh, this is a study that's going to talk about Again, this idea of the believer's relationship to the Mosaic Law. I think it's vital. I know that it's vital for us to understand how we are to interact with it. Because failure to know can lead us often to legalism. Failure to do this can lead us down a path that um, takes us far from the Lord. You're like, how in the world? I, I have just, I have seen it happen. I know some of you are living Um, in situations where you are dealing with this or have dealt with this. But, you know, when people start to go back into the Mosaic Law, often it begins with something um, no more. And I'm not saying it always goes down this path. Please understand me. But it begins often with just an interest in these things, and after the interest, it begins to be, I'm going to keep it, you know, just for myself, and then you begin to feel better about yourself over others, and now you begin to boast in what you're doing, and then you begin to condemn others, and the next thing you know, this is, a, you know, the process is, now now you don't even know if you believe Paul anymore, and the writings of Paul, because, Paul really is going to hit the whole, we're not under the law. So then people begin to push back on Paul. Well, maybe not everything Paul said was inspired. And then it's, then it's like, well, you know, maybe the New Testament is inspired. I don't know if I believe in the deity of Jesus. You know what, maybe he was a false prophet. And you're like, how in the world? Well, it just happens. Believe me, it does. And we've had, um, you know, our hearts broken as we watch some people walk down this path. The New Testament warns us. About this, so we're about to start a study going through the Mosaic Law, and um, while I'm happy to teach it because it's the Word of God, we need to know how we should relate with it, and how what, what parts do we obey, or do we not obey any parts of the law? And what about the Ten Commandments? Do we keep some of the Ten Commandments, but not all of them, or do we not? Are we not under any of the Ten Commandments? What? These are some of the questions I, I hope to answer. Now, I'm going to kind of apologize, but it's planned out. I did my study this way, so I don't know how much of a sincere apology it is. I'm going to pepper you with scripture verses. I mean, I I'm like you've ne- I've never in any Bible study you've ever done given this many cross references. I'm telling you right now, and here's the reason why. I know it's gonna be like ah, you know, write them down. I want you to see. Were these very strong and definitive statements that I'm going to make, that they find their basis in the Word of God. And I'm not just coming up with them on my own. So that is kind of the approach that we are going to take. So you have been forewarned. I have, I think, all of the references up there for you. So you can take the time to take notes, but I would love for you to be turning to them as well so you can challenge your. Uh, your pew partner to a um, you know sword drill who can get to the passage the fastest, but uh, we begin with this asking the question, so what was the function of the law in, in uh, Deuteronomy chapter nineteen verses four through six we're going we 're going to begin to get our first answer and we have four or five points under here and and the the, the first element I want to talk about is that the law was to be to mark a people, a nation, Israel, for holiness. Remember this last week, 19, verses 4 through 6? You have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, it's the Mosaic covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation these are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. So this is an invitation into a meaningful covenant with God. And he is saying, I want you to be a holy nation. When people look at you as a people and they see you interacting with the civil aspects, the wisdom, the civil wisdom that is contained in the law, that other nations will say, man, I wish our uh, you know, judges and our rulers and our governors functioned and acted like this. Or if they're looking at the ceremonial aspects of the law and the, 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 the worship that was happening in the temple, they would see the beauty and the fellowship that this provided to come before the Lord. Or if they're looking at the moral aspects of the, the law, they would say, now that is the way to live life. That is a way to treat people. That is the way to treat others. And so the law, made up of this civil And the ceremonial and the moral aspects. Well, it's the moral aspect that that the nation should be able to look and say, look at that nation marked with holiness. This is what we ought to be like. Of course, we know that Israel repeatedly failed in this and often brought the chastisement of the Lord down upon them because of their failure to keep the Mosaic law. But it was also meant to be a blessing to them. It was to be a blessing Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 1 says, Now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the judgments which I teach you to observe, that you may live. These weren't meant to destroy them. This was to give them life. And go in and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers is giving you. Or Deuteronomy 4 8, And what great nation is there that has such statutes and righteous judgments as are in all this law? So again, Scripture is speaking glowingly of of the law. It's not saying this is a terrible thing, watch out, run from it, try and get away. It's, It's actually something that was meant to be a blessing. God's inviting them into this relationship. So it was meant to mark them in holiness. It was meant to be a blessing. But one thing that it was not meant to do was it was not meant to justify them. The law cannot justify Now, what do we mean when we say justify? Well, it means to be free of charge in a courtroom. Before a judge, there would be no charge. Allegations are brought, but when the judgment comes down, he would say, there are no charges that are being brought against you. You are acquitted. You are justified. And so the law cannot justify us before the Lord. Paul made it very clear in both Galatians and Romans that no one can be justified by the Mosaic law. You can't can't do it. This is not a way to find acceptance before the Lord. Galatians 3.11 says, But that no one is justified by the law, in the sight of God is evident, for the just shall live by faith. Faith in the finished work of the Lord, not faith in the Mosaic law. And by the way, how was David saved? Was it through the law? No, it was by faith. And how was Abraham saved, which it was even 400 years before the law? It was by faith faith. Read Romans chapter 4 on your own and you will see. God has never used the works of the law to justify. So this is very clear. Both Galatians 3.11 and Romans 3.20 says no flesh can be justified by the works of the law, the Mosaic law. So we don't look to this and say, well, if I keep them, then I'm going to be accepted. We're going to find that actually it's quite The opposite. Well, another function of the law was the law was meant to bring us to Christ. So as an instructor that tells its student, you need Christ to make you righteous. You can't do this on your own. The Ten Commandments or the 613 laws found in the Mosaic Law, you can't keep them. And what does the Bible say? If you don't keep them, then you're guilty of breaking the law. So there was an awareness that was coming to those that were in this Mosaic covenant that we need help because we cannot do it on our own. And so Galatians 3, verses 23 through 25, makes this point. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ. That's an important line. The law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. We are under faith. We are not under the law any longer. So the law was there. It was a good law, but the law was also because of our fallen nature, impossible for us to keep perfectly, which brought us the awareness that we were under the curse and the the consequences of the law. Paul echoes this same point when he writes to Romans, uh, to the Romans, Romans chapter 7, verse 7, that the law was to bring us to Christ. He says, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law, for I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said you shall not covet. So you see the law performed a very, very important function, and that was to condemn us. To bring to our awareness that we are sinners and that we cannot justify ourselves. And that is, a, that is a vital lesson to learn. Because when you realize you're condemned like that, now you're looking out for a Savior. You're looking out for something to help us. The law was saying that person is Jesus Christ who is coming. So the law cannot justify us. Um, the law brings us to Christ. This is what we are, are being taught. Um, So, maybe, did I get these out of order just a little bit here? No? I got it. Let's see. Romans 3.20, I might have skipped that one. Did I skip that one? No, I got it. Okay. That's what happens when you teach multiple services. Honestly, just a little sidebar. I can actually be teaching, I'm like, did I say this already or was that last service? That's true, it happens all the time. And so, yeah, it's just like I have these little conversations going on while I'm talking. You think I'm fully engaged, but my brain is doing all kinds of stuff up there. All right, so the law brings us to Christ. So it can't justify us, but it brings us to Christ. And here, I love this next point. The law was a shadow of things to come. The law was not the substance, it was the shadow. If you see a shadow... You don't fall down on the ground if it's a shadow of somebody you love. They're coming back from a long trip. You don't you know, fall down and hug the shadow. You hug the substance. You hug the person. And the law was a shadow of good things to come. Galatians 2 verses 16 through 17 says, So let no one judge you in food or in drink. Have you ever had anybody judge you? in your diet, I don't know if that's really in keeping with the Mosaic law, or regarding a festival, you do keep the Feast of Israel, don't you? Or a new moon or Sabbaths? He says, don't let anybody do that. And verse 17, he says, which are a shadow, the law, a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. In our faith in Jesus Christ, we have the substance. We, we, We behold Christ, the substance not the shadows. And when people begin to go back to those things and they begin to make that the emphasis of their walk, they're going back and they're essentially choosing something that is far less, it is a shadow that was only meant to tell them, go get Christ. And so we defeat the whole purpose of the law in that. So while those um, were waiting under the law for Christ to come and to justify them, The Lord provided in the Mosaic law a temporary covering for their transgression, right? So here's the law. This is where you live. Oh, the law teaches me I sinned again. My conscience is condemning me. What do I do? Oh, the law of Moses provides a way for me to bring a sacrifice for my sins, the day of atonement and all the rest. And so now I would bring that sacrifice and the blood would be shed and that would provide a temporary covering, but it would not perfect the worshiper. Essentially, all of the, um, all of the uh, sacrifices that were being made in the Old Testament to cover sin, it was like swiping a credit card, the Mosaic credit card. You weren't paying for it, but you knew that one day it would be paid for. And who's going to pay for it? It's going to be the bank of Jesus. Jesus is going to do it. And he's going to pay the balance of, of all of those sacrifices. But they could not remove sin. They could only provide a temporary covering. Don't take my word for it. Hebrews chapter 10 verses 1 through 4 says, For the law having a shadow, so there's that reference again to the law being a shadow, of good things to come and not the very image of the things, can never with these same sacrifices, which they offer continually, year by year, make those who approach perfect, for then they would not have then they would not have ceased to be offered. For the worshipers once purified, would have had no more consciousness of sins. But the, in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. And here it is, verse four. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. It could only provide a temporary covering. Can you see that? It's a shadow. Yeah, here's the law. You must keep it. Well, but the substance hasn't come yet. Well, I've got a shadow that will help you until the substance comes. And you'll make these sacrifices. And you you know, you're you're borrowing it, if you will. It's on credit. It's in faith of what the Lord's going to come to do. And one day, all of those who worshiped in faith, coming and offering those sacrifices, um, and having that temporary uh, covering, would cash in on the substance when Christ came, even though they had they had believed in the past, and maybe were dead and gone. They still would find that covering, uh, excuse me, that perfect sacrifice in Jesus being imputed to them. A few more verses down, just down to verse eleven. Hebrews 11, uh, ten verses eleven through fourteen says, and every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly. The same sacrifices. So worshiper after worshiper after worshiper. And the Mosaic law was coming in every day, every day, all day long. But look at this phrase in verse 11, which can never take away sins. Those that want to go back to the Mosaic law, they go back to a, forgive, to a system that cannot forgive them. And, you know, they're going to keep running that Mosaic credit card. But Bank of Jesus is not going to come in because they're not receiving him. That the law is pointing to. Verse 12, but this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God, from that time waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. Verse 14, for by one offering he has perfected forever you perfected forever those who are being sanctified. So the law was a shadow of things to come. The sacrifices were there, and they provided a legitimate, God-ordained, temporary covering for their transgressions against the law because the law condemned them. But it was all looking forward to the image or to the substance that would come that the law was pointing to, and that is to Christ. So the Mosaic law was given to Israel, As an example, not just for themselves, but to the whole world that they were unable to justify themselves apart from Christ. And so the point I'm making here is we already established that they could not be justified, but they became the example for the whole world. So Romans 3.19 says, Now we know that whatever the law says, the Mosaic law, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and here it is, and all the world may become guilty before God. So all the world looks at Israel under the Mosaic Covenant, and we see that they failed and that they were guilty. And all of our mouths are stopped and saying, we can justify ourselves. We can be good on our own and make it. So the law spoke to both those that were under the law and to those that were looking at this nation that was meant to be a holy nation saying, we're all guilty, And so, really important stuff here. Um, William MacDonald says, God tested Israel under the law as a sample of the human race, and Israel's guilt proved the world's guilt. Again, referencing Romans 3.19. So, let's think about this. What is the Lord's attitude towards the law of Moses. Did he come to destroy it and trample it and act as if it was an intruder, something that should have never been there? Was he a revolutionary that showed up on the scene and was going to dismiss and rewrite history and, and get rid of any remnant of what God had done in the past through the Mosaic law? He says, no, I did not come to destroy it, but to fulfill it. And Jesus did fulfill the law. He fulfilled complete obedience to it, but he also fulfilled another aspect. He fulfilled the curse of the law. And he took the curse of the law, hanging on a tree, a judgment on his own body because of our sin. So he fulfilled not only the positive side of the law, but he also fulfilled the cursed side of the law because he was taking our guilt and shame as he went to the cross. Such an important thing for us to understand. Ephesians 2, 14 through 16, and I'm going to read this from the New Living Translation. It clearly states... However, that the law is abolished. It's abolished. It is, it's a system that's come to an end. But Jesus was not despising the progressive revelation of God. I know that, that little phrase right there probably bothers some of you. The progressive revelation of God. But this is what I mean by it. Not that God's always changing his mind. I don't mean that. What I mean is, God knew what he was going to do from the very beginning. Genesis chapter 3. Uh, the seed of the woman is going to come and crush the head of the serpent. The curse will be broken. But that's a little bit of information. That's not a lot of information. And over time, we get more and more information. God reveals more and more. It's not that he's changing his mind, but he's revealing what he's already determined to do. It's not a change of plan. Don't think of it that way, or in the political sense of being a progressive. It's just that there was an un veiling of the revelation that God had. But although he did not trample the old system as something that should have never been, he did abolish it. So let's read Ephesians 2, 14 through 16. If you want a clear passage that says the law is done, well, verse 15 is going to give it to you. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when... In his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. Here it is: He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. That is a very clear, definitive, easy sentence to understand. There's no, um, you know, illustrations. It's just a clear statement: the the system of the Mosaic law has ended. And it ended because Jesus came and he um, went to the cross. We keep on reading. It says, he made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. Together as one body, Christ has reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross. And our hostility towards each other was put to death. So when did the system end? When Jesus died on the cross. This is Him fulfilling the curse of the law. Now being able to transfer to us righteousness. When we talk again about progressive revelation, don't think of it as God changing his mind, but rather that the law served a part of the the predetermined plan of God. But in the last days, God has spoken again, hasn't he? In Hebrews 1, 1 1-4, Particularly verses 1 and 2. God, who at various times, you can think about all the different times in which God spoke in the Old Testament. And in various ways, I'm thinking of like the covenants. In the past to the fathers and by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world's. And he goes on to just describe him who being in the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power. When he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty and high, having become so much better than the angels as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Final revelation in these last days, the last revelation is in Jesus Christ. So we look for no further revelation other than what we have received. The progressive revelation has culminated in God himself, the second person of the Godhead coming and revealing and actually procuring our salvation and our justification. So this is what the law is, this is what the law is not. It's important for us to understand these things because if you don't, you could end up, you know, taking certain aspects of, of the law. But let me ask this question. Are there some aspects of the law that we are still under today? Now, when I'm saying law, I mean the Mosaic law. Are there still some aspects of the Mosaic law that we are under today? In other words, is a believer free from the civil Side of the law. If your children disobeys you under the law, you are to what? Stone them. This was one of the things you could do, right? And obviously there's some circumstances. Is that? Well, maybe we shouldn't be doing that. Okay. Um, things have, that's not something. Well, how about the ceremonial parts of the law? All the worship in the, in the temple and so forth. Well, no, I don't know. that There's no, not even a temple. Well, how about the moral aspects of the law? Are there parts of the moral aspect of the law that we should keep? Like, for instance, what we'll see in just a couple of weeks after I we get back from Israel, chapter 20, the Ten Commandments. Of the Ten Commandments, one of them is you shall keep the Sabbath. That is not repeated in the New Testament. We'll talk more about that in a minute. But the other nine, how about those nine? Are we under those? Don't, don't, don't answer out loud. Are we under... The moral aspects of the Mosaic covenant as expressed in the other nine commandments, they say some things like thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not steal, shall not commit adultery. Those seem like things we shouldn't do. And I think we'd all agree we should not be doing them. But does that then mean that we are under the moral aspects of the law? No. It doesn't mean that. Because what the Bible teaches us is that the law is an indivisible unit. Now, I'm going to put you on pause. The next question that we're going to address is, well, what about lawlessness? So you're just going to have to, where I know all of your minds are right now, you're just going to have to wait for it. Let's establish this from the New Testament first. The law is an indivisible unit, meaning the, the, the civil, ceremonial, and moral aspects of the Mosaic Law. Can you divide them out, pick and choose? I'm going to subscribe to these. I'm going to keep those, but not that part and this part I'm going to take. And of course, I'm under the Ten Commandments because it says do not murder. Can you do that? Well, let's read Scripture. Galatians chapter 5, verse 3 says, I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised. Okay, an aspect of the law, right? That he is a debtor to keep what? The whole law. Can you just pull out one aspect, like circumcision, say, well, we're going to keep circumcision. And then as I'm circumcised and I come to faith in Jesus Christ, now I can be saved. Can you do that? He says, "Uh, well, listen, if you want to do that, then you're a debtor to keep the whole law, moral, ceremonial, and civil. James says the same thing. James chapter 2, verse 10. For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point is guilty of what? All. The law is an indivisible unit. You cannot take certain parts and then say, I don't want that part. I'll take this part. Or this seems like a good thing. So we don't do that. So then the question. And, and so on this point that the, that the law is viewed as an indivisible unit. Um, Rinald Schauer says this, The implication is that since the Mosaic law was indivisible by nature, the Christian who places himself under its moral aspects obligates himself to keep every aspect of the law civil, ceremonial, and moral. So if you want to well, I keep the festivals, I think we should keep those. Okay, do you really keep them? Do you travel to Israel every year? for this and you know what about the fact that there is no temple isn't that kind of a little problematic i mean can can you keep it i don't think you can keep it because there is no temple there is no priesthood and so there there are certain things about that the calendar well i just the sabbath or you know what about this aspect of it and we will pick and choose but clearly what the new testament is teaching us is don't walk down that road cuz if you want to pick up part of it you got to pick up the whole thing we might want to divide it in our own minds, but the New Testament never divides it. And I guarantee you, under the, if you were to walk into the temple and you were to ask one of the scribes or the Pharisees or Sadducees and says, what part of the law can I not keep? They would just say, what are you talking about? You must keep the whole thing. And the New Testament tells us as much. But the problem we come to then and let me just say, there are some believers who would say, we don't keep the civil and we don't keep the ceremonial, but then we keep some moral aspects. And for me, in my mind, that's just like, oh, that how do I figure that out then? How do I figure out of the 613 which ones I am to keep? And, and I think it, the answer is it is so much simpler. But I just want, in fairness, as I present this, to let you know, some Bible-believing Christians that are not trying to be justified by the law will make that argument that certain moral aspects of the law must be kept because if we don't keep the moral aspects of the law, then we become lawless and God does not want us to be lawless. And who can disagree with that, that, that reasoning? But there's, there's a way to be lawful without being under the Mosaic law. Very simple. You, you'll quickly get this. Before the Mosaic law came here in chapter 20, was there any law that existed for the way man should live? Was there any sense of this is morally right, that is morally wrong? And the answer is absolutely. Even going back to the, to the earliest days, was murder wrong before the Ten Commandments said murder was wrong? What about Cain and Abel? It was clearly wrong. Um, What about adultery? Well, we can look at Abraham and Sarah and these interesting scenes with the the Pharaoh and and Abimelech. And they almost, well, they took her into the harem. They had almost, you know, gone to um, have uh, consummate the marriage. And they were warned and this would have been a wrong thing. We can see places where stealing was wrong. So the point is this. The Mosaic law did not establish the eternal moral absolutes of God. They were in existence beforehand. They were in the consciousness and the mind of people. And so when we talk about lawlessness, it is not a problem, nor are we saying that we're not under the Ten Commandments, meaning we can go live however we want to, because God has always had an administration, always had a way by which he was communicating and holding mankind accountable to keep his eternal moral absolutes, which are... For us, we look to the New Testament to tell us what those are. Romans chapter 2, verses 14 and 15 address this. It says, for when Gentiles who do not have the law. Wait a minute here. So when we talk about the Mosaic law, we get kind of a tunnel vision. And all we think about is Israel, right? But is that all of the world? No, and it was only Israel. He was the cho- they were the chosen nation. You alone are the people that are going to be under this covenant. And this is what Paul is saying in Romans 2.14. When Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things in the law, these, although not having the law, are a law to themselves, who show the work of the law written not on stone, where? In their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, And between themselves, their thoughts, either accusing or excusing them. So they would even feel guilt and shame or justification for doing the wrong thing or the right thing. Because there was in the heart of man before the Mosaic law. I think all of us can easily understand that God had this in place before the Mosaic law. And even when the Mosaic law was in place in Israel, over in Nepal, they didn't have it. But yet there was this conscious awareness of the right thing and the wrong thing to do. So the point simply is this. The Mosaic law is not the only way by which God can administrate his eternal moral absolutes. So it existed before the Mosaic law. It existed in other nations apart from the law while the law was in force. And today it still is in force but it is not administered through the law. It's administered through grace. John 1.17 says, For the law was given through Moses. Okay? Easy enough. But grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So there's a distinction that's being made between the two and what they bring. Again, Renal Schauer says, God established the Mosaic Law as a way of administering his eternal moral absolutes. Through Moses, but Jesus Christ established grace as the new way of God administering his moral absolutes. So, when we say we are not under the Ten Commandments, we are not saying go live how you want, because we are now under the moral absolutes through the administration of God's grace. And this is clear in Scripture that we cannot go live however we want to. Romans chapter 6, verses 11 through 14, such a, a powerful passage on this point, says, likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin. So it's not, You don't get to go live however you want to. But alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of unrighteousness to God. And here it is, verse 14. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but what? Under grace. Grace is God's favor towards us, but there are aspects that, you know, the the variegated ways in which grace is manifested. And grace also calls us, Into obedience, and to follow the Lord's law, not the Mosaic law, because that has come to an end with its commandments and regulations, Ephesians uh, 2.15. We read it earlier. So it's not that we're lawless. So I want to present to you this, is that we are not under the ceremonial parts of the law. We don't take our, our lambs and go sacrifice them at the temple. We are not under the civil aspects of the law. But neither are we under the moral aspects of the Mosaic law. We are under the, mosaic, uh, we are under the uh, uh, moral absolutes of the Lord as administered by the grace. And you're like, well, that's just splitting hairs. No, it's not. No, it's not. Because if you want to go into the law and say, well, I'm going to keep these, although they might be repeated, and they certainly, many of them are, from prior to the Mosaic law, during the Mosaic law, and to the present dispensation we live in, It is not just splitting of hairs. Because if we don't understand this, this is how we get caught up and people say, well, I'm going to keep the dietary part. Well, no, we're in the law. Yeah, but don't you think we keep the Ten Commandments? Well, well, you think we should murder? Well, no, I don't think we should murder. Well, then we have to keep the Ten Commandments. Yeah, I guess so. And see how then now that opens the door. So now some begin to think, well, what about the dietary laws? Or, or what about Sabbath worship? Or, or what about keeping the feasts? And it begins to go and to spill out. And we are clearly instructed, verse 14, that we are not under the law, but we are under grace. But in that passage where we just read this, it's calling us to live a lawful life, not a lawless life. Again, emphasize clearly Titus 2.14 of our obedience under the covenant of grace. It says, for who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. We are more into holiness and righteousness than anybody ever was under the Mosaic law. Because Christ died for us. His grace has come to me. And so now it's not just thou shalt not murder. Now it's also I shouldn't hate. I shouldn't have ill feelings in my heart towards somebody. It's now not just you shall not commit adultery. I shouldn't even allow lust in my heart. And so now the spirit who dwells within me is calling me to even a higher standard, if you will, of righteousness. It's not that the standard of righteousness is gone. But how we understand that righteousness and how it's administered is vital so we don't end up in place of error. Well, in chapter 20, and we'll repeat some of this in our next study, we come to the Ten Commandments. So what about these Ten Commandments? And in particular, what about the Sabbath? There's Ten Commandments. Nine of them are repeated in the New Testament, which means nine of those moral absolutes that were conveyed under the Mosaic Covenant are also conveyed under the the gospel under grace so we must walk in those as well and whatever else we find in the new testament but the sabbath keeping the sabbath is not one of those commandments that is repeated in the new testament so just in summary form to be explored more why because jesus is the rest jesus is our rest Um, secondly those who oppose Sunday worship, what you guys are doing right now, fail to see that the Sabbath was not a day of congregating for worship, but it was a day of what? Rest. I challenge you to find one verse in the Bible, specifically the Mosaic Covenant, where it commands Israel to go and congregate and go and worship at a particular location. Now, if they're close to the temple, they could make that that journey. But if they were 50 miles away, they were forbidden for making that journey on the Sabbath, right? You've heard the phrase Sabbath day journey. You could only travel so far. So the synagogue is not a mosaic idea, a mosaic law idea. That's something that came about in the exile when they went to Babylon. We have no biblical record of it coming about. There's no commandment to have it. We just find when we get to the New Testament they had synagogue worship, and it happened to be close by, and they would go on Sabbath, a good thing to pray and to read and to, and to fellowship. But that was a tradition that began, albeit a good one, one that Jesus even walked in. You don't find in the uh, Mosaic law the commandment to go to a particular place. What it commands you to do is to hang out in your pajamas. That's what it commands you to do. It commands you to not get in the field and rest rest. So when somebody wants to challenge you and say, do you go to church on Sunday? Say, yes, I do. Say, well, what about the Sabbath? Say, I laid, in my, laid at home in my pajamas till 11 o'clock. It was a very restful Saturday. Thank you very much. Now they're going to blow their mind because they don't they're not looking at this as a point of rest or looking at it as a point of what day you go and worship. Well, what did Paul say? Go worship whatever day you want to. And don't judge another servant. So, again, reasons why. Um, The early church is recorded in the New Testament as meeting on Sunday. Again, there's no command to meet on Saturday. And Paul taught that we are free to worship whenever we want to. And Colossians 2, don't let anybody judge you in these things. So, we've addressed briefly the question of the Sabbath But really, the entirety of our study shows us that we should not venture to put ourselves under any part of the Mosaic law that has been abolished, that has been taken away, because we are not under that. We are under grace. But if you think, aha, we get to go live however we want to, you don't understand what it means to be under grace. Grace is going to be more demanding, if you will, on how we live Not for justification. That comes by faith. But now being justified, we live holy and righteous life. I am constrained by Christ to live for him. Galatians chapter 3, verses 10 through 14. And we are wrapping up here at one more major point and then a conclusion. But I got this verse, this is the last reference. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse... Anybody want to go do that? (laughs) For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident. For the just shall live by faith. That is faith in Jesus. Yet the law is not of faith, but man who does them shall live by them. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. That the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. You do not want to venture back. So, the Mosaic Covenant, what we're talking about right now, here beginning in chapter 20 as one of many covenants that God made. And I'll name five of them. I'm not not naming them all, but I'll give you five. The Noahic covenant, the one that God made with Noah, the Abrahamic, the Mosaic, which we've just talked about, the Davidic, and the new covenant, the one that Jesus established when he died on the cross. Those are the covenants, and these covenants are these agreements between God and man that have that can have conditions, that can have a limitation of time, that have unique signs associated with them. Like the Abrahamic covenant has the sign of circumcision, the Noahic covenant has the sign of a rainbow. Right? So you can look at these different one, um, different uh, signs that are associated. The New Covenant is the cup of the New Covenant that Jesus established at the Lord's Supper, which spoke of his shed blood. So whether you call it the cup of the New Covenant or you talk about his shed blood, that's the sign of the New Covenant. But of the covenants I've just named, only one of them is conditional and only one of them has a shelf life. And which one is it? It's the Mosaic. Because the Abrahamic, the Noahic covenant, God's going to keep that for man all the way through the book of Revelation. He's not going to flood this earth again. And it's perpetual to all the generations. So we can see clearly as you compare these other covenants... That some of them say, this is perpetual for every generation. And as you read it, the terms of it, you see that it's unconditional. God's going to fulfill this no matter what man does. Now, there may be some temporary consequences, but the end result is God is going to fulfill it. And there's a sign. But with the mosaic, it was clearly conditional, and it was clearly limited. Not only can you look at the New Testament and deduce that, but in Ezekiel and Jeremiah The prophets speak of a covenant that was to come. It was the new covenant that was to come, speaking and indicating that the old would pass away. So as we wrap it up, the Mosaic covenant was a gracious invitation by God to Israel. The law was meant to be a blessing in all three facets of the civil, the ceremonial, and the moral instruction. But the law cannot save, and it was only meant to be a tutor that said, you need help, and his name is Jesus. The Mosaic law's been abolished by Jesus when he died on the cross. We are made righteous and forgiven of our sins and the new covenant and the holy spirit dwells within us. This was instituted when Jesus died on the cross. Any attempt to return to the law requires and demands that you obey the whole thing. That is you'll be condemned. You cannot pick and choose what parts of the law you want to keep and what part of the Mosaic law you want to pick and choose because it's an indivisible unit. God still requires obedience from his followers today, not for justification, but God has had and still does eternal moral absolutes that we are to live under, not under the law, but under grace. This also answers the question that often comes up, this whole study does, when people say, well, in the Old Testament, there were certain laws that they had to keep. Now today, you don't have to keep them. Did God change his mind? Who said they didn't have to keep them? And this is the, the line of argument, the argumentation you hear, which then leads to, so maybe... What the New Testament says and those commandments that are in the New Testament, maybe they're not for us to obey either because the Old Testament had laws that stopped having to be obeyed. Hopefully you can better answer that now by saying, well, wait a minute. God at different times and in different ways has administered his moral absolutes before the law, during the law, and now after the law, and we go to one place, the New Testament, to find out what the rule is for us to walk in obedience and holiness. So I realize for some of you, are like, whoa, okay, what was all that? I, I, I realize you may need to listen to it again. But having watched people fall into this error repeatedly and beginning a study in the law, which is beautiful as we've just seen and is going to be attractive on many levels. I don't want anybody to think, well, we need to go back to it because it's done. But we can learn from it and we can see what the Lord established for them. Is that clear? I hope so. If not, go listen to it again. They should have it up on the, on the Internet by the end of the week. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word and your truth. nor that we don't have just a portion of it, but we can, well, we can travel from Genesis all the way through Scripture and we see your progressive revelation. We see how you began with just a, a kernel of hope and promise that the seed of the woman would destroy the head of the serpent and reverse the curse. And now here we are in Hebrews chapter 1, and the last days, having had your son come and speak to us a final word of what your plan and your redemption is. And thank you, Lord, that you have finished the work and we look for none other. Lord, we do want to live in holiness. We do want to walk in obedience. We want to be faithful followers under the new covenant of grace. Thank you for it, Lord. Thank you that we are not dependent upon ourselves to live a perfect life to be saved, but through faith we can trust in your finished work. So, Lord, protect us Keep us those that are clinging to grace till the very end and not departing and going back to something that is finished and impossible to keep anyway. And it is in your name that we pray. Amen.